After the end of Abnormal Mapping 42, the podcast was split into two, East and West. This marked the beginning of episode number 44. What a thrill With darkness and silence through the night what a thrill I'm searching and I'll melt into you What a fear in my heart But you're so supreme I give my Hello, welcome to Abnormal Mapping 44. I am Jackson Tyler. This is the third in our trek through the Metal Gear games with interesting guests. I am joined by Cameron Kunzelman today, freelancer extraordinaire, developer of Epinalepsis, the video game that you can enjoy on Steam right now. There we go, getting the plugs out of the way up top. Do check the description to find out what else Cameron's done. He's a great dude. This is a great talk. We're talking about Snake Eater today, the third game, but there are spoilers for pretty much every single game in the series. This is a very uh, full podcast of open discussion about Metal Gear Solid 5 as well, so, like, throughout. So be aware of that, but, yeah. It's another good podcast and another good series. I hope you've been enjoying them. I hope you enjoy this one. Let's, uh, let's go. Let's begin the podcast. Let us transition into this amazing songs finale and start talking about a few. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the third of these special abnormal mappings on the Metal Gear series. Today, I have special guest Cameron Kunzelman with me to talk about Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Hello. Hi, Cameron. Hey. How's it it going? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's uh, the distant past right now. I'm putting this up in the new year. Oh, my Uh, word. Yeah, so... Time travelers. Time travelers. That's what we are. But time travelers in the way that everyone else is also a time traveler. (laughs) Yeah, we're not exactly unique in the way we travel through time on Mm -hmm. the internet. The information superhighway, as it is known. Mm -hmm. Cyberspace. Yeah, that's what we call it over here. Is that what you guys call it? We only say... So I only learned the word internet by being on the information superhighway. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Mm -hmm. I learned everything I know about the internet from Digimon the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a documentary. 
it is a little known fact. So, as with the other podcast, we'll start by talking about the game itself and then move back generally. It's always a bit of a slow start as we need to find like the starting point because every Metal Gear game is so ridiculous that it's hard to find a place exactly where to start from. Oh, I mean, well, we can start with that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that Metal Gear is that ridiculous. Don't you? No. Okay. I think they are just, uh, they're just action movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I like a lot of, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, if you follow me on Twitter of enjoying just movies that people tend to not like. I really yeah. like the second and third Matrix movies. Um, I like, I like the second one a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. That one's really good. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I think that maybe my appreciation is, uh, different from other people's, um, in what I like. And I think Metal Gear Solid's full of bombast. Mm-hmm. And uh, not necessarily ridiculousness or whatever, just adhering very tightly to the kind of strange stuff that happens in action movies. I mean, look at watch a Transformers movie and just write down the plot points as they happen mm-hmm. and try to figure out causation, right? Like it doesn't happen. <laughs> There's um, none. There's yeah. none. And so maybe where the feeling of ridiculousness or weirdness um, in Middle Gear Solid comes from is that Kojima and the writing team... Um, are very particular about actually providing causation. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's an action movie world that's filled in with facts, right, and information. Yeah, like this game specifically begins with a basically half an hour long codec conversation and cutscene describing every single bit of context you need to know going in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which and I really first... appreciate. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just having an aside there. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, I was going to say the virtuous mission is like that too, right? Yeah. The, the idea that virtuous mission is just kind of a piece of historical filler content that sets up the context for the whole thing and then sets up the context of every Metal Gear Solid game from uh, from there until, you know, Metal Gear Solid Five. Because mm-hmm. uh, what, to me, Metal Gear Solid Three is, is this very singular, like... Uh, moment that you don't see in a lot of franchises where suddenly halfway in to the franchise's like am- amount of entries they create this piece that is intended very explicitly to be the core of the series from there on in mm-hmm. uh, i can't actually think of anything that has done that to that extent like the closest thing i can kind of think of is like wrath of calm with star trek oh sure yeah uh, but that's in a very different sense that's not one per- that's like a, a different person coming in and then redefining yeah, if, it feels a little bit more like a like a TV show, right? Like a TV show, yeah. So a TV show, I think, is much more comfortable. I, you know, you know, there's been a lot of ones to do it, but I'm thinking about Breaking Bad in particular recently. Mm-hmm. That kind of you know mid mid series gives you a set of flashbacks that set up the context for basically you know 75 percent of the kind of background gang stuff that's going on in that series. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think maybe it's a TV move. Well, it's not just a flashback sense. I feel like after three, the like thematic core of what the series is has shifted to be about the ending of three all the time, always. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I guess I mean just like uh, giving you a set of uh, mm-hmm. information that sets up the core of everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, flashback is an awful way of describing that, but that's me for you. Giving you awful ways to describe things. <laughs> no, I think TV is a good description though. I'd be similar to the uh, the TV episode I was thinking of, the first episode of season two of The West Wing, where they flash back mm-hmm. and set up. Here's what is happening here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very similar move, but no, the 
the game itself like begins and if you had coming off of two it is a very strange opening because they make no reference to anything that has previously occurred they just go hey this is the 60s welcome to the virtuous mission uh, when i first played the game uh, I had selected which Metal Gear do you like, Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> so I began the game with Raiden's mask on mm-hmm. and was con- very confused. <laughs> Cause, well, that's the weird thing, right? Is yeah. It's like, we're going to give you this, like you're saying, right? This decontextualized information. Here's new stuff that has nothing to do with Metal Gear Solid 2. But if you choose this one particular control mechanism, get ready for a joke. Like a joke that happens immediately. And there's lots of things like that. that there are... It is playing with your expectation of uh, how much is this going to fill into stuff? How much is this going to uh, end up backfilling in what I know? And mm-hmm. like with the the big one of that is the code words at the start, where it's like uh, your code words are who are the patriots and the lali lulay lo, mm-hmm. and everyone's ears pricks up and goes what? Hang on, <laughs> <laughs> but it's nothing more than actually a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or that things that we find to be super important, and I mean this is. Like you're saying, setting up the kernel of Metal Gear Solid, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, kind of redefining what came before and then setting up the stakes for everything after. I mean, it it sets up the idea that all of these words and concepts and entities that in Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2 we take to be very, very important, like kind of on their own, right? Yes. That they are uh, essential or inherently big and important and stylish, that they're they're just contingencies, right, that happen Mm -hmm. because of this one particular event. Like yeah. Major Zero is just like that dude's code name and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing special about it. Yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of in this game, especially in four, uh, taking these grand concepts that two established because two takes the Metal Gear series and extracts its themes to this massive societal level, and then instead recontextualizes them as this kind of small tragedy of uh, friends infighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like the entire field of world politics is contextualized in the series to be a, just a group of friends having an argument. Yeah. Uh, but as and it's very clear this is a zero sum game. This is there's nothing to be gained from this fight. Uh, yeah, and I you know, I think uh I I I don't think that this is uh spoilers for Metal Gear Solid 5, but if so, you can cut this out and put a big bleep I am like right uh, over the top. I am going to give a warning at the start to say if you've not played any of the Metal Gear games, don't listen to these. Gotcha. Because we've been fairly openly spoiling for them in the other podcasts for mm-hmm. the most part. Okay. Uh, so, but so like you're saying, this sort of in infighting amongst friends. I it really uh, for the like post game conversation that happens in Metal Gear Solid Five, like you know the phone call at the end. Yes. Where it is uh, Ocelot and uh, Master Miller. Yes. Just having a conversation and being like, look, we just, we're going to end up on opposite sides of this thing. And, uh, you know, I'll probably kill you. <laughs> and, this, and you know, Kaz is like, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, that's fine. I guess we'll kill one another. And then they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll get to Metal Gear Solid 5 in the second half of this podcast. I want to oh, talk about that a little bit. Gotcha. But uh, for now, I want to get back to 3 and what it is as this object that is interacted with specifically because especially uh after 2006 when they introduced the subsistence version and changed the camera mm-hmm. that is like the moment metal gear shifts as a thing that is interacted with because there's a general uh slow change across the series like even from 1987 you can see the start of it like you crouch behind things you crawl underground you sneak around guys and move avoid line of sight that is what you do mm-hmm. but shifting the perspective to be linked to your character rather than linked to the space is 
a monumental change in focus for the series i feel like uh, mm-hmm. because throughout these games there is this sense of like symbiosis between the space and snake like the camera functions as snake's awareness and he has greater awareness than uh you know than of human being would because he can see around corners and see if some guy is coming to him because that's how the camera works that's the interaction with the player but three changes that uh for the addition of the subsistence camera to be this more traditional um in a western sense i guess traditional only and that's what one of the stealth game design uh focus on your body as a thing that is related to your perspective Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it has something to do with uh, the advent of the immersive sim in the early two thousands. Yes. Um, so the idea that and the kind of early fetishization of the notion of immersion, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea that being more closely connected bodily to this um, to this character or this entity is going to be quote unquote more immersive, mm-hmm. and thinking about the way. Um, I was reading Jennifer DeWinter's uh, book on uh, Miyamoto, which is a great book that people should check out uh, if you're interested in Miyamoto as a designer. But in that book, she talks about this sort of Nintendo concept of direct input. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that you hit a button one time and you jump one time, there's a one-to-one correlation. There's no abstraction between you and control. And um that's that's a long way to go around to say that I think that there's something about the um, the kind of closer attachment to the camera um, in the immersive sim, so either first person or third person, mm-hmm. um, and with direct correspondence of controls that kind of is coming, you know, it's part of this uh, almost like uh, substructure of video games up to the early 2000s, and then by the early 2000s, controls and control systems became complex enough that you could actually begin to map that out. Yes. So you could have direct input for many different types of actions. And I think that, that you know, that's maybe one of the strengths of uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 kind of across the board is that there is direct manipulable input for a number of different actions. And that's where you get those, like, really interesting, like, simulation-breaking videos from, right? Mm-hmm. Is that your direct input is so good... Uh, that you can manipulate, you know, you can stand at the corner of line of sight and, like, sneak around guards for 40 minutes or whatever. Because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the game has a lot of... I, I mean, I see it as this uh, marrying of the two... Of this two system, these two, like, uh, forms of design that would define the series and just uh, action games in general. Mm-hmm. Um, because, for example, it do- uh, one of my favorite things about the game is the way it handles shooting. Uh in the the button you press to hold the gun is the exact same button you press to shoot the gun. Yeah. Um, it like within your direct action contextualizes shooting a gun as an extension of an action of holding the gun, rather than uh, saying that aiming, holding, and shooting are different things, which is what you would normally do in a modern action game, and what modern Metal Gears have done mm-hmm. with the left trigger, right trigger, and the zoom button. Uh, but I think that that is. One this really powerful uh, design, like just tiny little choice that, uh, like the fact that you can hold a gun and accidentally shoot it because you had to hold it, is this powerful <laughs> thing that like just communicates how these weapons are dangerous. 
and super and super true to real life right i mean the yeah. first thing you learn in not the first link hopefully this is not the first thing you learn in, in gun safety but <laughs> um one of the things you learn in gun safety is squeeze don't pull right mm -hmm. so the idea of, of you have to tightly squeeze the trigger um slowly rather than like jerking it right which can make your gun fire in all kinds of directions and so this it's this kind of like militaristic uh, you know immersive sim kind of quality to it um that pulls off does it uh is it that way in the subsistence version version for the xbox uh yes i think okay. so because i i couldn't remember if it had pressure sensitive buttons or not uh oh for the xbox yeah for the xbox version i don't know i played on the ps4 ps3 uh mm. even. so i have no Cause idea because I, I, I think... know there was a platform distinction between the ps2 and actually someone correct me if i'm wrong but i believe that PS2 uh, had pressure-sensitive buttons, and mm -hmm. the Xbox did not. Well, it didn't come out on the Xbox. It's only on the 360 and the HD version. Oh, the I think I thought that Subsistence came. Nope. Uh, two uh, Substance came out on the Xbox. Ah, uh, I gotcha. Okay. But, well, that solves that problem then. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know about the HD versions. I've only played gotcha. on PlayStation. Uh, that would be a shame to lose that because I think that's key to that. That. Uh, part of the design because you do have to squeeze and not pull yeah uh, also the way the guns change in three compared to two uh they're a lot more powerful as like set with their sound and their design to shoot a gun is a because your your pistol in two is very uh light it is mm -hmm. a stealthy thing that communicates the like damage you are doing to these people by removing yourself from it mm -hmm. but in three every time even you shoot the silence tranquilizer pistol there is a like a, it makes a real noise uh the guy falls over and you can't really see what you're aiming at you should put the noise in right here there, there it go. goes yep there there it went that was it <laughs> making some editing for me thank you mm -hmm. <laughs> um but yeah no i 100 percent agree there's this kind of feeling and i think this is kind of across the audio and visual design Mm -hmm. uh, for the entire game, that the 60s had weight and reality to them. Yes. That the 2000s don't. And I think that, you know, on one hand, there's a very easy read of that to say that because Metal Gear Solid 2 in particular is about simulation, it's about mm -hmm. abstraction from violence, you know, it's about all of these themes of basically alienation, um, that the design of the pistol in that is part of that. Um, but I like, I, I like the idea that maybe in the 60s things were just more loud. Right, yeah. Like, that there's not a them. I I think it would be more interesting if we don't read it thematically, and we're just like the '60s. Everything weighed more. Mm -hmm. We weren't as developed as far as like our murder machines, and yeah. uh, and we're on the cusp of the moment where wide scale mass murder via guns becomes much more easier and much more abstracted. Mm -hmm. uh, along those lines, one of the most interesting things in the series, from like a standing back and looking at it perspective, is the fact that through every single metal gear game because there've been so many and they've been slotted into between each other timeline wise they have to come up with a new reason why the metal gear is a big deal <laughs> yes yes <laughs> like why is this one a big deal oh it can do this but it can't do the thing the next one can do because that has to still be a big deal in context mm -hmm. uh and oh what because uh, the shagahod what can the shagahod do that's it, just it drives really fast it drives really fast that's it yeah uh, and it can launch a nuke from the ground Mm -hmm. and it inc yeah okay <laughs> but the reason it's not as good is I, the next one is i guess peace walker um as far as in the in the sequence of metal gears but uh the reason it's not that peace walker is better is that shagohad needs the runway yes to like huck it up into space and then peace walker has the legs and then mm -hmm. zeke 
I don't know, gets stolen. And, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. Salahanthropus uh, can walk on two legs and is just mm-hmm. a mech at that point. Uh, yeah, the Sahelanthropus. Oh, well, Sahelanthropus, the the difference there is it itself is the bomb. Right. So it runs into the thing and basically just explodes. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay. Uh, but Sahelanthropus is also... The way it handles the timeline is slightly different because of the nature of Five. Yeah. As this yeah. aborted side story deliberately. Uh, but back to Three. Uh, I do like the, I think the sense of world and place in 3 is pretty much perfect throughout. Like, it can conveys the sense of, welcome to the 60s, I've watched a lot of Bond movies, you know what this is. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. That, um, that theme song. <laughs> I will catch myself singing the theme song for Snake Eater. Whenever you're on uh, a ladder. No, yeah, when I'm on, you know. Uh, my day-to-day life involves a lot of ladders. <laughs> a lot of ladders. Um, I have a very unsafe workplace. Uh, we're very ladder-centric. Uh, no, but I'll just be walking, you know, doing something, washing dishes, mm-hmm. and I will catch myself singing the Metal Gear Solid 3 theme song. Because mm-hmm. it's so good. I mean, that ladder sequence, that, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like, uh, this is not hyperbole. I think that the ladder scene in Metal Gear Solid 3 is probably one of the most... Like top five uh, aesthetic experiences in a video game. <laughs> like it is a moment that does not care about like your pleasure or what you think is fun or like why you're in the game. It's a moment that's like, look, we're gonna make, we're gonna. It's not a cinematic or it's not cutscene, so we're not gonna let you skip it. Mm-hmm. You've got to hold the down button the whole time, mm-hmm. and we're gonna make you listen to the theme song. Yeah. Uh... I think it loses a lot of its impact if you keep the subsistence camera when you do that, because mm-hmm. uh, what is uh, particularly striking about that moment for me, because I always switch to the overhead, is that the camera never changes, it just goes up with you, and mm-hmm. you just see scale in a way you rarely do in games, this slow movement up, and the ground just gets lower and lower, and you feel the size of this thing you are climbing in this very like deliberate way. Yeah, which when the camera's just behind you all the time, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, convey that same thing. Oh, that's interesting. So in the subsistence camera, it uh, it like just pulls close behind you, and you don't see the, like the down the thing. The subsistence camera just tracks with you like you're on a ladder. Uh, for some reason, I thought that it switched back. During, I guess when I did it, I also switched it back. Yep, there are specific moments where I always switch to the default camera, the chase included. Oh yeah, oh, uh, the chase is great. Chase is pretty good. Hmm. Uh, but the ladder scene, I don't... Hmm, is it my favorite ladder scene? I like the two ladder scene as well, but you don't play that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Metal mm-hmm. Gear series is apparently famous for having two of the best ladder scenes in video games. <laughs> yeah, I can't think... Uh, I can't think of any other ladder scenes. That's disappointing, because we climb ladders a lot in games, do stuff with them. I know, well, but that's what I'm saying. I think it's a very brave, like, design choice mm-hmm. that no one else would make. Because it's, I mean, it does not feel good. It is not a fun experience I mean, in any way. It's, uh, I don't know. If it's, I don't think it's the, like, as far a uh, deliberately, haha, you've got to do this forever, as the uh, stairs in the Shimmer building oh, in Final oh, Fantasy oh. Seven. Like, that is way more of a <laughs> mm-hmm. break joke of just, no, you've got to climb all these stairs. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, well, and there's that in uh, Metal Gear Solid as well a little bit, right? Like the, Oh, right, uh, with the, um, the alarm. The tower. 
Yeah, the tower. I, I don't know. There's something about this period of, and I think that maybe this is the, the end of it, Metal Gear Solid 3. Definitely. So maybe the beginning of the PSX era all the way to somewhere around Metal Gear Solid 3, where there is this, I don't know, the maybe the idea that to make levels and to make content, you're going to have to be reusing a lot of content mm-hmm. because of space constraints, because of design constraints, all these different things. And so maybe people are thinking more about the notion of reuse and what you can do with that. I mean, so in the, the idea that after this time period, right, well, you know, we'll say 2007, 2008 with Bioshock, there becomes this um, anxiety around choice, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have the ability now to make an immense amount of content and to actually branch stories in particular kinds of ways. And so I wonder if there is a time period of anxiety about reuse that then gets supplanted by the anxiety of choice. That's my that's my only uh, smart thought for the day. <laughs> Thanks so much, and I'll see you all in the new year. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, this is Cameron Smart Thought. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks. Thanks like, for having me on. No problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, where can we find you? No, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe. I don't know. Um, uh, I think that there's something that, as you say, you moved into choice as the main uh, mode of uh, like like anxiety, as mm-hmm. you're saying. Uh, there's a loss of, especially in big games of that scale, just the focus on moving through a space. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas... Uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 had, is probably the end of this, but Final Fantasy 7, Metal Gear Solid 1, these are the fir- some of the first games in which you are moving through a 3D space that have reached the, this large scale, this mass market. And so the act of moving through a space can then can be this rote thing that you do. You have to navigate it. You have to navigate those stairs and turn around them every time. Uh, and that is in and of itself meaningful. Whereas... Yeah. I've, when you get to Bioshock and when you get to the anxiety about choice, the idea of a straight line you have to navigate becomes like there's an anxiety that that isn't interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I 100% agree. And yeah. and with the Final Fantasy VII one too, can't can't you accidentally reset your progress? Like can you, you? I think you can. I think you can either get into a fight or get in the elevator or something halfway up. It's been a long time. Uh, since I, I mean, what, you don't go all the way to the top. You get up, and then you take another elevator. Elevator, yeah. But for uh, some reason, I believe that there's a way to accidentally go all the way back down. Oh no! Um, and I think the, I think the, I, I could be making this up, but I don't believe so. I think the intended mechanic is since there's only a save point there and toward the very top, mm-hmm. that you can go all the way back down halfway up to heal up if you need to, basically. Um, okay. But I think it's also easy to accidentally do it. I could be wrong. I could be very, very wrong right here, but I have this distinct memory of doing something bad. Yeah, I, I know that I made it all the way up to the top the first time, uh, but I don't know. I played it well, a year and a half ago. Well, good for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just going to adjust my shirt here, wipe the dust off. Thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why but, they had to split the remake into multiple parts. One of the yeah, parts well, is the staircase. Is, part two is, yeah, staircase. Um, part one, Mako Reactor. Part two, staircase. <laughs> yep. Uh, but uh, back to Metal Gear, because we're apparently all the way on tangents today. Mm-hmm. What do you think of uh, the game as this thing that has been lost in the series with its transition to open world, and even with fours moving away from single base? But one of the things I thought uh, was really striking about three, especially on this uh, second play, was how 
much the game is about you your body as a thing that can be impacted by things other than you like you uh, for example on the uh, snake eater mission you land and then the first thing that happens is the boss takes your gun and then you don't have mm-hmm. your gun anymore and then you have to work out oh this thing that i had i no longer have access to and it's the complete opposite form of design than the open world style hey choose your gun from these 20 billion guns yeah 100 percent um that there's some kind of you know in part of me you know i always feel of two ways about this like on one hand i think there's an aesthetic choice definitely there the idea that there is a interpenetrability you know Mm -hmm. around the world um on the other hand i think well we're like halfway through the ps2's dev cycle uh, we know what we can kind of get out of the console at this point. And so mm-hmm. the idea of being able to just, you know, hold and model variables yeah. um, of, you know, arm, arm is broken, you know, mm-hmm. yes or no. And having the ability to accurately represent that. Like, I would be very curious to to know um, whether there was an idea for these kind of mechanics earlier and they just weren't able to be executed on. Mm-hmm. Or, or if that's part and parcel of the entire Metal Gear Solid Three design process, and I think uh, it's real sad that we probably will never know. Um, nope. But you know, like no one will ever tell us, which is I mean, real bummer. The, the design document for two is around, mm-hmm. so yeah. maybe the design document for three will come out one day. We'll never know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, that would be great, but but like you're saying, yeah, there's this really there's this brilliant kind of idea of. Um, not like you're saying that moving through space, um, but also that part you are part and parcel of space mm-hmm. and that you're just kind of at the whims of nature. I mean, there's something really important about not just other characters being able to operate on you, because um, in some ways that's an extension of the torture mechanic, right? Yes. Because um, the torture stuff from Metal Gear Solid 1 is pretty striking. I remember when I was, you know, middle school and playing Metal Gear Solid 1 that like that was a big deal. Like that's not something that happened in video games before. Both that you're being captured and then you're getting tortured and you're having to like pound on that button to not be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways I feel like this is, you know, uh, the CQC system is almost an aesthetic extension of mm-hmm. uh, that kind of kernel. But there's also this idea that, yeah, that nature can just like beat the crap out of you. Yeah. And, and then if you like, you know, you can have your arm broken by an alligator, and you just got to deal with it. You just got to deal with it, yeah. And I, and like also, there are so many moments where the story dictates that now this has happened to you. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think the mo- like the most effective one in this game is directly after the torture sequence, in which you are without your items for about four areas, and you then have to do the sorrow, uh, yeah, boss boss battle i don't know but as in a narrative sense it is the end of second act dark moment for snake having to like uh confront all these things that have he has done having to and then walking the player through this uh traditional narrative journey through uh, this uh specifically designed moment is um like i find the sorrow fight incredibly i say fight i find the sorrow sequence uh incredibly impactful despite the fact that if you were to describe it it actually sounds very rote in 2015 like all the people you killed you have to see all their ghosts haha uh but it earns that through this like stripping you of uh your agency and these abilities that you've had and your items 
it it feels like a moment in a film or a book in which a character has to actually be tested at the end of their like before they can uh, get to their kind of redemptive arc yeah as it were yeah 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 i mean it, it feels like um you know, I, I think there's a there's a criticism that comes around a lot of the time about quote unquote more intellectual games or yes. whatever, right? That and the criticism is, uh, how dare you enjoy this quote unquote more intellectual game? Have you never read a book before, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this this critique like gets phrased in a lot of different, perhaps more kind ways, but that's ninety nine percent of the time the kernel, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. have you not read modernist literature before, Lowell? Um, and so, um, and right, I've been guilty of doing this myself, but, uh, it's a particularly cruel, I think, um, way to characterize video games. But, um, I think, I think that the sorrow sequence, um, and I agree with you that it's this kind of like apex, beautiful moment. I think it comes from, uh, this, this idea that I want to do something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a designer here. I want to do something that uh, accurately represents this kind of like internal monologue redemptive arc that we would be able to have interiority for in a yes. novel and then they were like well we can do that with a cutscene, <laughs> or <laughs> um but even a cutscene doesn't give you much right like you uh, in metal gear solid you don't even get internal monologues right so it's very difficult um to do it well, so it so it gets in, like in metal gear solid one you just get liquid telling you haha you enjoy the killing <laughs> yes yeah, yeah, you get like finger wag shamed, and then um, in two you get the slightly more nuanced reveal of uh, Raiden's backstory. Yeah, but they even those are all mostly gotcha moments and mostly uh, in service of other kind of twists. Um, three commits to that idea not as a uh, like shock, but just as something sad and something that you have to experience and accept as part of this journey. Yeah, and it gets uh, dramatized, and I think that's the important part, right? That you become, it's maybe the part of the game that is the most, and maybe of all the Metal Gear Solids, actually, that is the most like a stage play, Mm -hmm. right? That we are almost an audience, you know, like seated out in front of this thing, and we are just watching this progression of characters appear and disappear. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very, you know, like the dismissive comment, right? It's very modernist literature. Yeah. um, But executed in a way that I think is really, uh, really useful for, you know, whatever the affordances that video games have. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I totally agree. I also love the the lead up to that part uh, where where you need to heal all the wounds that you saw happen to Snake in the cutscene, kind of like what you were saying before. I think that's just a brilliant kind of, you know purposeful melding of the like you were saying the story things we know that happened to his body well i I think that's one of the strengths of the game is the persistence of everything uh it is very clearly well at least when snake the operation snake eater begins it is one linear event of time that happens to snake and Mm -hmm. so no event is separate from the other events it's not like an open world game or a game with missions in which you do this mission and then you do this other mission and you can uh, take all these things on in a different order. Everything has to be preceded by the thing that is is preceded by and followed by the thing that it is followed by in order for the valleys and troughs of the game's pacing and ideas to uh, like Im- be impactful. And I like that there's a real cohesion of the design there. And I think you're right that that's a very... This is a late PS2 game and this is the style of design that is in on the PS2 and this is the things we can do with it. We know where our limits are. And there is a, uh, like, I think that this this definitely gets a bonus by being the only Metal Gear game to be the second on its console. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Both um, Metal Gear Solid 
two, four, and five are all not hampered, but they're all basically on fire as they were made because mm-hmm. five for also very different reasons. But uh, two and four, I know, <laughs> had lots of we wanted to do this, but we didn't know the technology, and ah, yeah. and three is no, we know we kind of what we can do, and here's how we're gonna do it. Yeah, have you looked into how much of the dev team stuck around between but, two and three? I haven't uh, looked at that, but I wonder if it's a huge chunk. I wonder if it's the I, exact same team. I think so. I know that what the one thing I do know is that they were going to make uh, three f- for PS3. And then mm. when that was taking forever, they were like, let's just make on PS2. We know how to do that. Oh, gotcha. Do, uh, do you count uh, Ground Zeroes as a distinct game from MGS5? Uh, n- kind of, but not really. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, when, when I say five, I think of both of them, I guess. Yeah. I also yeah. forgot that Ground Zeroes existed when I just said that. So How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I know. I'm so rude of me. Pl- fiddle. There we go. Ground Zeroes <laughs> reference. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Th- another thing that is interesting about 3 is, in its narrative specifically, is that after 2, which is <laughs> has the widest scope possible... It's a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. That ends with sentient America monologuing to you about Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they knew what was up. <laughs> it was a very did. prescient... It's the Mr. Show of video games. <laughs> oh, that's, re- that's a really kind comment to say to anything. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you've seen the... This is a tangent, but it's a, it's a good tangent for listeners. Have yeah. you seen the Mr. Show... Um, predicts the future website where no. they just look at things that were depicted in Mr. Show <laughs> as like totally like just terrible ideas. Ludicrous. Yeah, yeah ludicrous ideas. And I, I think there's like a hundred or so predictions and like 40 have come true. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty great. And much like Metal Gear Solid 2, we could probably do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, but 3 has this very different focus in that it is pretty much the story of two characters all other characters mostly exist to uh further this one relationship that ends up becoming the central relationship to the entire series Mm -hmm. between the boss and big boss or the boss and naked snake Mm -hmm. Uh, well it's also and i love that i love that you're kind of pointing that out because uh in some ways that's a smokescreen right mm -hmm. because it's really like like in the context of the series like metal gear solid 3 as a unit is certainly about that but uh, when you contextualize that that kind of um, you know insular object with the rest of the series, it's about the formulation of the relationship between the boss and every other major character too. Yes. Um, yes. And so it like pulls this double duty of being a very tight, really well constructed story, and also setting up uh, the idea that, or, or of giving us, I guess, a visualization of the connecting points between all of these different characters who want to carry out the will of uh, the boss uh, and her, right? Like they were all there. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's something like really profound about that, I think. Yeah. Uh, And the, the spots have been filled in as time has gone on with these extra games, but I like to sometimes imagine a world in which three was the last Metal Gear game. And just Mm -hmm. the series ends with that graveyard. Cause that's the space there. Um, Every Metal Gear game ends in this way of with with a cliffhanger type um, conversation that kind of upends your perspective on what has come before. Uh, the P2 being the pinnacle of this where you're like, oh, they were dead for 100 years. What? <laughs> what? 
what is this world? What is happening? He but, was the weaker brother. <laughs> Mr. President. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I love that. That's a great game. <laughs> yep. And um, three has that, but in a very different way mm-hmm. in the, as the text scrolls and fills in, oh, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And you realize, oh, the, the, the entire Metal Gear universe fits into this one event. It basically has most of its twists in a text scroll at the end. That is, that is the kind of game this is. Yeah. Uh, like the second to last item on that skull is like the uh, U.S. branch of the philosophers renamed the Patriots, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> right, okay." Yeah, no, I I love all of the, I the, these like these moments at the end, I guess, of all of these Metal Gear Solid games where there's this uh, effusion of emotion and sincerity. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, like, the entire boss fight, I guess, at the well, quite literally is a boss fight, but also the fight <laughs> but with um, the boss. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Video games. Video games. Um, Big boss. One but, of the best, one of the things that makes me happiest about this game is that I know somewhere there is a document with the line, uh, with the words, President Nixon colon, you inherit the title of Big Boss. <laughs> yes. Written on it. Oh, that's, that's so good. Uh, yep. Solid Snake stands up President Nixon. Doesn't <laughs> does. do it. But, uh, but yeah, but the idea, right? So Metal Gear Solid 1, there's this like long monologue. I think it's between, it's Naomi talking, but we're meant to take that for uh, Snake. And then 2 is Raiden talking. And then Rose, I guess, is also part of that conversation. Um, but 3 is like, you get sincerity through this like weird machinery of bureaucracy operating. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is word here too, but I like the idea that it's very personal in one and two and in three like you're saying it gets weirdly depersonalized like in snakes uh in big boss's life at this point the ability to have like sharp personhood is destroyed by what's happened in the game um because right you're now a part of the system of horrifying replication of the military industrial complex or the beginning of the military industrial complex one of the things that i think is interesting and i said a bit in the last podcast uh is that 2 is the only game in the entire series in which the bad guys unequivocally and completely win in every single way. And it is also the only game in the entire series that has an actually happy ending. Uh, (laughs) 3 is the inverse of that. And both of the games for Raiden and Big Boss are about realizing the existence of... In Raiden's case, it's just capitalism. Uh, But... Uh, three is slightly smaller and it's just the whims of nations and ideology and like the role of an individual within the world and right in the end of two is about finding a way to exist within that and finding the uh like the will to just how can you assert yourself in a world that doesn't want you to Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas three is the this is what happens when someone realizes that and you know what happens next because you know the other Metal Gear games. Like, it doesn't actually need to show you that, but yeah. you feel the crushing weight of those systems on this one person and in the end of the series, you finally understand, oh, yeah, of course he's going to burn it all down. Like, why wouldn't you after all that? Yeah. No, and I, I love the... It's never it's never quite delivered in um in a very explicit way, but I like the idea that that the shift is occurring generationally mm-hmm. um, because, right, like when, wh- what's the name of the boss's group? I can't remember. The Cobras. The Cobras, right. So the Cobras are, during World War II, they are pure individualist 
you know, five yes. people or whatever having an impact on the world that is, uh, you know, kind of under the, the broad banner of uh, the good guys or whatever, right? But is distinctly individualist, right? Like, they could change the will of nations themselves mm -hmm. if they wanted to. Yeah. Because they're so powerful and because they're doing certain kinds of missions and all of that's hinted at, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that Snake, through this, like, rugged individualism of power and violence and CQC... Uh, is able to kill all of them one by one um, is part of that. But the idea that, yeah, like you're saying, that that shift occurs over from these five people kind of set the potential for the world to come to this one person kills them and is ultimately part of a bureaucracy. Um, th that full arc of, you know, from the 1930s, I guess, all the way to uh, the 1960s is brutal. And then you know what's coming, of course, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think th that speaks to how well the series as a whole handles this idea of interdependence mm -hmm. through the design of its uh, play in the, basically through 1, 2, and 3 specifically, slightly less afterwards, and in 5 it, and Peace Walker it handles this in a very different way, uh, the way you, like, you are at one person on site, you are sneaking alone, but that is not true because everything you do is due to the information you're given by your commanding officers and then when you're stuck you can call them for advice and get all this information and intel and help and uh all of the games center you as someone acting as an agent of these systems who are distant from you uh which then by five has uh wraps around itself as big boss is now in charge of those systems and is about being like to me five is a set about in a lot of ways being trapped by the war economy and this just punishing capitalist system and the way it forces you to be complicit in that dehumanization yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, well, it wraps around in a second way too. The idea that Skullface, the antagonist of Metal Gear Solid Five, was there the whole time as well, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this—it's not even implicit; it's explicit in his like monologuing that he does in MGS Five that that this entire system of interdependence and moving forward is also afforded by. Uh, the labor of unseen, unheard, colonized minorities, yes. right? And so, like, that's also part of this uh, system. Um, and you know, I, I think that I think Lee Alexander is the one who wrote this article about about how it's a metaphor for the game development industry and all those things. And I think that's like, I think that's a super solid read. But I also think, like, just in pure narrative terms, um, we kind of have to come to terms. Ho ho. Uh, with, that, <laughs> with that reality, right? Yeah, um, I, I think to me, Peace Walker is more explicitly about games than Metal Gear Solid Five is, mm -hmm. because all the things to me that Five is about game development are inherited from Peace Walker. Those systems, sure. uh, the systems of control about the mother base, about building stuff up, uh, are that is that is from Peace Walker, and it's a continuation of that idea. But Peace Walker being about Big Boss rather than Venom Snake, who is a different character kind of but not really we'll get into that in a second mm -hmm. uh it focuses on big boss as this individual with something to say it focuses specifically narratively on the moments in which that fractures uh like five he uh venom snake is getting revenge they are clear from the start that this is not a pure exercise uh but peace walker begins with snake actually genuinely believing that this can be a way to get what he wants to actually 
achieve the goals that he sees as worthy uh and throughout the game like with the, the culminates with the building of the nuke which is the reason everything goes to shit in the end um like all these small decisions are made in which you have to make concessions you have to uh fit in this uh, like as you accumulate this large system you c- the ability to create something uh personal and earnest is lessened and that's how i see about um them <laughs> commenting on the metal gear series sure yeah um, and and so there's something there too about two competing senses of i of idealism right or yes. two competing ideals right um because they're both very idealistic games in the sense that uh they have this eternal goal that is uh, kind of like floated in front of them right and mm-hmm. and they have to realize it materially um so yeah there's you know the kind of pure and good ideology of uh, the nation for soldiers and a world where soldiers can be free or whatever from peace walker that's kind of the boss as well um and then metal gear solid 5's version which is this idealism of revenge and murder (laughs) um which is you know it's it's treated the exact same way as like the peace and hope uh notion from peace walker right it is held up as a pure ideal but its application and how it gets materially realized is uh you know horrifying mm-hmm. and full of torture and uh murder and all yeah. of these things and five also brings in as you were saying uh more explicitly than even two uh or at least it has more specificity than two um the idea of american exceptionalism mm-hmm. as this force that completely is culturally economically and just in the cost of human lives devastating to the rest of the world uh and like Skullface talks about that, like language is, you know, how people communicate and the English language is basically eradicating all other forms of culture, which that is, as I think Leia Alexander said in her piece, like clearly a comment on, uh, in some level, how the Metal Gear Solid series has been forced to abandon its own original identity and it is now like uh, five, you, you could have taken out the part where it's Snake uh, which uh, <laughs> they kind of already did joke, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, but you could have taken out a lot of the context from it and just put those control systems, and I would have believed you that, that was just a, a new Ubisoft game or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, yeah, there's there's something like very visceral to that entire thing. Like mm-hmm. to slog through so much of that game, and I do think a lot of the the early game. I enjoyed Metal Solid Five, but I think yeah. a lot of the the early game is kind of sloggy to get to that kind of very strong payoff uh was actually very surprising yeah i enjoyed the uh especially the second half of chapter one when all the uh parasite stuff basically reveals itself is great mm-hmm. yeah um, and uh ipads or iDroids. <laughs> iDroids. oh mm-hmm. god iDroids. that's like south park level pun mm-hmm. <laughs> i want what's really interesting too I, I think about that entire the entire like complex system you're pointing out yeah. is that on one hand it is a game that distinctly and powerfully hates all these different things american exceptionalism um this kind of cultural imperialism that's happening uh and on the other hand has Kiefer sutherland right like the 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 literal core of the cultural representation of how america works in this day and age right like Mm -hmm. we had uh people standing up in our congress saying that using Kiefer Sutherland's actions on 24 is a justification for torture. Yep. Right? Like, and and he is the, you know, the voice of Snake and this kind of thing. It's a it's a beautiful, like, dialectical, like, 
good classical dialectical contradiction. Well, the whole game is even more profoundly than that a massive contradiction in terms because essentially what the game is to me is this uh, capitalism simulator in which you are forced into a system that is inherently dehumanizing and made complicit within the horrors that it creates. And then a company looked at that and said, that's a great way to get people to make money. Um, <laughs> like the idea that... Um, and in some ways, it like proves everything the game is saying about games in the its own critique of uh, the uh, systems at play is then taken by the company away from the creator of the system and put to nefarious ends for its own self. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think there's this uh, <laughs> kind of truth that every Metal Gear game is a perfect video game and cannot be changed because they are so much about themselves that to change what they are would change what they are commenting on. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and, you know... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just mean... I don't, I don't mean they're, like, perfect, amazing games, but I mean that I can't imagine them as other things because, you know, that the context of them is so specific. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're very internally coherent and consistent. Yes. And there's something about that coherency that, yeah, removing even little pieces of it seems like it would change the whole... Mm-hmm. Um, what's really interesting about about you kind of elaborating this uh, this position and this critique is that uh, it really draws in what we were talking earlier about Metal Gear Solid Three as being like um, very brutish and loud and yes. uh, you know kind of pre technological in a way or mm-hmm. you know uh, earlier technological and that it it doesn't have these moments of like Metal Gear Solid Five for me is a very like you're saying this Ubisoft experience it is a very uh, frictionless game yes right it is smooth you move from point a to point b very easily there are very few moments of uh intensive reflection or um de-aestheticization in in a sense right so displeasure there are very few moments of displeasure like the latter sequence could not fit in metal gear solid 5 well the closest there there is one and it is the moment in which the parasites uh, are unleashed upon your crew and you have to spend yeah. about 45 minutes going through menus working out what the hell's going on well so here's the thing though so you're supposed to do that and i just didn't do it i just <laughs> let all of my people die and the, the game does not punish you for doing that you can continue to play the game like normal and never quarantine a single person because short of the tutorial people i did not quarantine anyone i just kept playing the game and i moved <sighs> through the story quickly enough that mm-hmm. it just didn't have any negative didn't impact. Have... So wow, okay. So, so yeah, there is this beautiful idea. There, I, I love this. I love that we're pulling this out. So there's this idea that yes, you do have to take a moment to kind of parse it out, pull the game apart, do the work of the earlier games, but in this like very clean, slick, uh, uh, nice progression, you can just move right on past it. You don't actually have to stop and think and do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, I love that. I love the because I I thought it was super weird, right? Like I'm playing the game and I was like, oh, I'll do it later. And then I moved through the next like two story missions and it went away. It fixed everyone. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. right, because you get the cure in the story yeah. anyway. Yeah, you can just uh, find Code Talker and exactly. call it a day. Yeah, exactly. I guess the only I guess the thing that would be closer would be the early uh, waiting for the chopper. Like, that's a moment where you just got to kind of run around in a circle and wait for things to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's it. But but yeah, there's something about the, the video gaminess of 5 uh, that 3 has no part of. 
Oh, because three, like I said, is this very coherent. Every moment is paced directly after the next one. I think the closest thing that five comes to isn't anything specifically put into the game, but is just the, okay, I did this mission. The next one is a thousand whatever away. I have to go make my way to it. I can either call a helicopter and that'll take forever, or I can go, like, there is a loneliness to playing five that the other games never come close to even um, trying to accomplish because the feeling of I am just in this battlefield and there's nothing else here. Guess I've got to go to the next mission. Uh, like that is the closest thing to something displeasurable in five. Is the but it also there. give you? I I think I would agree with you if there wasn't the start menu, <laughs> return to ACC button, right? Like, but uh, you can only redeploy through like financial means. Like everything is part of like everything connecting into that big pot of money that you have and are increasing and depleting all the time. Uh, means that you can't do anything without it costing you in some way mm-hmm. so either in your money or your time you like convenience does not exist in the metal gear solid 5 universe sure but I, but at the same time there's never a moment in that game where i was below like ten thousand credits right? oh i like, was always i was trying to upgrade as much as i could don't do that <laughs> yeah yeah no i didn't do that right like so i so that's what's interesting i guess is that just through like linearly playing the game in the way i would play another metal gear solid game mm-hmm. i never experienced a moment of running out of money of uh having to wait on anything of having to manage my troops in any significant way i mean i would go to the menu and you know hit sort by best you know whatever uh by best ability mm-hmm. um but yeah w- without performing the minutia like like it's almost a shell game right like the minutia is there to make you feel as if there is a really intensive simulation going on here Mm -hmm. but if you ignore the minutia there actually is not an intensive simulation you can Mm -hmm. just kind of speed your way on through it like any other contemporary uh triple a game because i completely i tried to engage with it a lot and i i've spent like 100 hours in melga solid 5 yeah i did not do that (laughs) yeah don't i don't i wouldn't advise (laughs) it Uh, and the thing that's sad about that is that it, so one of the things that is uh, that comes up in three especially is that as you were saying at the start like this systems heavy moment of i can do this and you like experiment and push the limits of the world that they've made with all these boundaries and all these uh variables that you can affect like i can uh you go to the base the first base before the ocelot fight with all the um supply units mm-hmm. and like you can either you can crawl through the ditch you can shoot them you can blow up all the supply units with c4 you can try all these different things whereas five has that variety but only if you engage with those other systems like its financial design means you are 100 percent encouraged to play through that game entirely with the silent starting pistol which i basically did because why would you why would you ever change yeah, no, I did the exact same thing, and I, you know, headshotted every troop I could and yep. took them, took them all home, kidnapped them, um, I, I, and I, all the mm-hmm. supply crates. I did the same thing. I got the I got one other upgrade. It was the silent sniper rifle, and as soon as I had that, I could headshot people even better. It was great. Uh, yeah, I but, never got there. I never even the got game that? like way before that was an option. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a shame. Like it, it makes the point of the these. Uh, the systems and now you were saying to the um uh the uh, troop deployment or troop uh, extraction thing as you you see all these soldiers purely only as uh resources for your for your own ends 100 percent, yeah uh, 
uh well yeah it's also awesome or interesting too right the 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 encouragement to play through the game to get the most upgrades to do all those things what the game is designed for you to do right Mm -hmm. um is this very explicit form of participating in the war economy um right like you're, you're performing the actions that theoretically the game is critical of yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I like that. I like that particularly in comparison to Metal Gear Solid 3, right? Where you're just, you are not, uh, Snake in that game is a tool. Yes. Who has, you're the upgrade. Like, you're halfway up the upgrade tree, basically. You are, like, the sniper rifle right before the silent sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how the game's narrative treats you. Um, and the game systems as well, right? You're, you're, you have no top level understanding of anything other than your own body. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just think that's a great there's a just a beautiful kind of synchronicity there mm-hmm. uh i like four as the missing step in the middle there as because mm-hmm. uh, four the war economy exists and you can engage with it and in fact they explicitly say you have to engage with it despite like they make it say like there is no point standing on principle the, our enemies are engaging with the war economy so even if we want to bring it down there's like what do we lose by not engaging with it and i think four has a lot of interesting discussion around uh why do we not do things we think are bad uh if we want to further our own goals like because sh- uh, snake says in two like killing is wrong killing is a thing that you should never do but he believes more in the th- the world he wants to create that he is willing to make that sacrifice on his own morals mm-hmm. uh, yeah uh, and that's a lot of I, th- I think a lot of just the broad themes of the entire series as basically a pacifist war game and it is uh m- continually having that discussion with itself throughout its entire series yeah you know i I, but i also feel like there's an immense amount of hypocrisy there i mean i'm i think that the core position of the of that game or of the series is not the snake like pacifist position because i hear this argument made a lot um uh i don't think it's i think it's otacon right like the the game position of or the position of the developers and designers and narrative uh constructors of the Metal Gear Solid franchise they're Otacon right they are yeah. someone who is uh, ostensibly critical of a process and yet literally at the knife's edge of development of what that process looks like uh, and hmm. and every every Imric in every game continually says we uh we don't believe in this at all and yet they right they create the most destructive systems that uh uh that the human race has ever seen every single one <laughs> every single one of them right um and so like there's i feel like that's the uh that's the real position of the series i hate Is... war so much i named my son huey <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hate war so much that i made personal stealth uh fields i hate war so much i made a nuclear weapon development arsenal <laughs> Or deployment uh, arsenal, right? Like, uh-huh. I hate war so much that I made a video game that uh, allows people to create thousands of hours of YouTube content of them murdering people in over and ways. over again. Yeah, yeah, right. And I mean, I would go further in that I think that after three, uh, the developers, the creators of the game are represented through Big Boss, mm-hmm. especially yeah. in four, like. I, th- I had a bit of discussion with Heather on the f- last podcast about this, but I feel like the ending of four is pretty much just uh, the closest thing to Kojima stepping out of the frame and saying, this was a bad idea. Shut these machines down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Cause zero in the wheelchair and not allowing him to die and all of those things. <laughs> yeah. I like, mean, yeah. 
comes out and says, "Oh, we had all, we had this story we wanted to tell, but it was so entrenched in all these like hip- hypocritical ideas and all these bad things came of it that this we have to this has to end. This has to end." Uh, and that's how the Metal Gear series ended in its first grand ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, well, still it's grand ending. I mean, that's still the end. The I end, mean, it is one know, of two grand endings. I think the ending of five is a very different grand ending. Sure. No, but I'm just saying, like, as far as the timeline is concerned. Yes. The final words said in the Metal Gear universe right now are, we should never have done this. That's not true. Rising <laughs> exists. Oh, that's true. That's true. But uh, the final words in the Kojima-directed mm-hmm. mainline games. The real games. Mm-hmm. Not the have, fake have, games. Have you not... played Rising? Yeah, I've played it. I've played a big chunk of Rising. Oh, it's so. Good. Have you not seen the ending of Rising? Oh no, I've seen. I've <laughs> I've watched uh, the, the like the rest of an LP of it. So it's pretty good. No, it's great. Uh, the idea of fighting George W. Bush um, is really amazing to me. The idea that after the Metal Gear series, Otacon went and became a womanizer <laughs> is <sighs> why would you... solid work. A plus all around. A plus all around. Yeah, but. To the grand ending of five, uh, which we haven't really touched on, and what that says as the ending of five being the final note of the Metal Gear series, is I I love it. It's one of my favorite things about five. I, what are you, what are your thoughts on the like ending of five before I go into mine? Uh, so just the idea that that this man is now fighting against his own son, like that part of it. Well, the part where there are multiple big bosses now, and oh, oh, yeah, the big reveal at the end. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know, right? Like, I it was not a so. On one hand, mm-hmm. I'll, I will uh, preface this fifteen times. Um, <laughs> on one hand, um, so I figured it out like halfway through the game, and not uh, not too. spoiled. I was just like, clearly, this is a big boss. Clearly, we spent so much time in that hospital, and there's that extra dude escorting you around. Like, something's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it was Kiefer Sutherland's voice, I was like, oh, well, what if... I mean, ultimately, that ends up being wrong, right? But uh, I was like, oh, the voice is different because it's not really Big Boss. Oh, my word. Everyone um, was thinking that, and I'm like, the Japanese voice is the same dude. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so so on one hand, that. So it wasn't yes. a, a big surprise. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's a brilliant thing. I, <laughs> I love the idea that... This is a game... I mean, it solidifies that the series, or at least a part of the series, is about memes, right? And Mm -hmm. about the replication of the self. Yes. And the big anxiety of the first game. The big anxiety of Metal Gear Solid 1. I love the word anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, Same. But uh, it has, uh, you know, the idea of what if one could not pass on one's existence, right? Mm. What if if we are terminal and we just end? Uh, And the second one is... Holy shit! What if it's awful that we are we are continually creating ourselves, right? Like, what does it mean for a murder machine to recreate itself? Um, and then three is kind of like really taking all of that very very seriously and then developing it out, right? What <laughs> happens when someone gets replicated five hundred times, uh, or you know, like seven times or whatever? However many sons of the big boss um, there are, or sons of the boss. Um, so right, so they're all about this kind of replication. So I think it's this beautiful moment of of being like, what happens when you replicate yourself um, with the same idea? What happens when you make a perfect replication? What can you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, what what could you actually? If the boss could have made herself again, uh, which arguably I guess happens with the big boss, 
what could happen? And I guess like what happens is that the, you know, the stakes are set up for one and two and four, uh, which are horrifying. Um, I'd kind of disagree with mm-hmm. that uh, read of the ending specifically because I I consider the multiplayer side of it to be like key to the okay because the ending of five to me is so like i figured out that that you're not big boss basically as soon as you started but i assumed it was going to be like your solidus but <laughs> oh okay sure um because i thought that liquid was going to be raiden because uh, oh. he has the never game over shirt and i'm like is that raiden mm-hmm. it's probably raiden he fought with um solidus in the civil war i remember that uh, but the never be game over is a reference to liquid right it's uh yeah. it's not over snake yep yeah uh, no, I figured that out fairly fairly fast. But the like the twist at the end isn't you're not big boss. The twist is that you're no one. You you don't matter. Sure. You're basically the player. Yeah. Uh, and it uh, cements big boss as not a human being, but as a, an inevitable idea that when the circumstances of Metal Gear Solid Three happen, that is the reaction that a human being will have, and that is the position they are thrust hmm. into. Yeah, and, I don't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Uh, and. By passing that on to the player and saying, okay, now you have this role, now you have filled these shoes, uh, it then begins the multiplayer thing, which, like, to me, the canon ending of the Metal Gear Solid series is there are a million big bosses over the world fighting each other for the disarmament of the human race. Like, (laughs) that is essentially canon. Yeah, yeah. And... It doesn't make sense with the timeline, but that doesn't matter because I don't actually think Metal Gear Solid cares about its timeline the way people think it does. Mm -hmm. Um but just having that like handing it over to you as this final like this is the responsibility of being this person and you know it leads to tragedy but are you going to like fight for the good thing or are you going to go down this bad road it is this very open-ended very uh confident and content ending that is very like shows a growth from the condemnment of the player that is found in especially two yeah i think i like the condemnment of the player I think mm-hmm. I I think I like the tighter. I mean, I don't think your reading is wrong. I think it's yeah. I, I think it's a hundred percent a real thing. I just think uh, in a world where I choose between these two things, I like the idea of <laughs> of that you that of taking like the narrative itself seriously rather than the extrapolation that that the that boss the big boss is able to perfectly recreate himself. Yeah, and there are repercussions for replication. And I guess that's like where your reading picks up too. Yeah, um, my is reading that... is like this. Uh, I see two as a condemnment of the player. I see four as a condemnment of the author, and then everything afterwards is this like navigation of uh, we're both in this mess together. How do we get out of it? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's certainly in four not. I don't think there's a moment where they're like, "We're doing this all for you, you nerd. Go home." You I, know, I, like there's mm... not enough of. There kind of is. It's it just, been a long time since I've played 4. 4 has, like, it has a lot of that, but then completely uh, undercuts that at the end. Because everything about Raiden in 4 is just like, you fucking mm-hmm. idiot, why'd you want another, another Metal Gear Solid game? Yeah. You became true. a ninja, but then <laughs> at the end, uh, he's like, and now your wife and child are back with you again. That's my least favorite plot point in 4. Yeah. But, the, yeah, I guess the uh, the boss fight at the end, too, uh, between... Uh, Solid Snake and Ocelot is very much like, why do you want to do this? <laughs> Players, why would you want this? And yet, this is the only place this can go. Your desires lead us to this point that yep. no one should want. And mm-hmm. yet you do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and that's why everyone is so effusive about that boss fight and how it operates, right? And I love it too, but like there's a, it is pure fan service as a thing and it should not exist. And yet. Let me uh, um, ask you the questions that I'm going to ask everyone else in the, what is, because I've only played Metal Gear Solid this year. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a bit distanced from the fan reaction to it as I only know some of it secondhand. Like I was around, I was around the Metal Gear games when four came out. So I remember that release, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I wasn't like, paying that much attention other than everyone was talking about whether snake should die which is in my mind the most boring conversation to have about that but i sure. get why at that time with video games that was a massive thing so i hate to uh, break it with you but yeah. or break it to you but 99 percent of conversations about games are the most boring conversations <laughs> you can have about games. <laughs> all right this, this our like hour that we spent doing this is probably the the best conversation i've had about games in a while oh thank you thank you yeah. that's good yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank thank you. No, thank you. No, just tip oh, my glasses well, yeah. here. But no. Um, so, what is? Where did you come to the series, and what is your like takeaway from it? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like what, um, what was your first? What was the first game you played? So I played Metal Gear Solid One on a demo disc before it was. Oh, released. nice. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm died in the wool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, playing Metal Gear Solid. So, um, so yeah. So I've been playing it, and I played that opening the the demo. I think only. Was there, it was only the outdoor section in Metal Gear Solid One right before you go into the interior of the big building. I don't yeah. remember the names of anything, but like where the two tanks are in there. So it's the basically hangar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, tank um, hanger. Yeah, the yeah. tank hanger. Where the hangar where the tanks are. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's just like the the opening underwater bit, uh, or you know, I think it had the full. Um, I think it had the full cutscene beforehand too, but. Uh, so it was that part, and then the uh, underground before the elevator, and then the outside area, and then the, uh, when you crawled into the tank hangar, the the demo ended. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I played that like a, a million times, um, and there's not a lot of stuff there. But at some point, um, some kid at school, um, so I played that demo disc a lot, and I was talking about it. And some kid at school was like, yeah, my dad bought that game for me and I hate it. It's terrible. Um, and so he brought it and gave it to me. Um, and so like I'd gotten, and this is like right before the PS2 comes out, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I came to the PlayStation very, very late. Like yeah. my aunt had a boyfriend who like gave me his PlayStation or something. Nice. So he like gave me that in a NASCAR game. And let me tell you, I hate NASCAR. Hated it then, hate it now. Sorry, you go, NASCAR. You go fans. around the track. You just go round um, and round and round. Yeah, you go around like a hundred times. Um, so anyway, so I had like no games, and I'm, and someone like gave me this demo disc. I'm playing this demo disc, so he gives me this game, and so then I played Metal Gear Solid like a million times, mm-hmm. um, over and over and over and over again. So so yeah, and so then when every game after that has come out, I've you know within a year or so, I don't yeah. think I was ever like a you know day one adopter, mm-hmm. but you know christmas time or whatever like, whenever oh, I hey, could. the new one's out yeah exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. uh except for Metal Gear solid 4 i didn't do that with it i uh i i just didn't i think after Metal Gear solid 3 i was just like yeah I'm, I'm fine and when all the press was coming out for Metal Gear solid 4 i wasn't really playing video games at the time uh anyway and i was like yeah that seems i don't need any more of that i played <laughs> Metal Gear solid 3 and so I just didn't play Metal Gear Solid 4 for a very long time. What was your reaction to 2? I'm curious, because I know some people have a real negative reaction to 2 the first time they played it. I didn't have... 
I, so when I like finally, you know, got on the internet, uh, you know, around people who cared a lot about video games, mm-hmm. um, that's when I was like indoctrinated into this fan response to yeah. Metal Gear Solid 2. Because I, I, you know, I'm from the rural South. We didn't have access to a lot of magazines. Fan reactions weren't really covered in magazines. I didn't have, you know, I was never like a game facts or whatever or game forum of any kind. Uh, kid growing up so so you know i i was re- weirdly inoculated against any of that and so yeah w- we played it and um uh, my cousin and i played metal gear solid 2 a whole lot and uh yeah i never had any negative reaction to it <laughs> like like i was not surprised that you were a new character i was just like oh it's a new game so that's a thing that could happen i guess like mm-hmm. i don't remember having any re- like positive or negative like that just, that like, just was a thing that happened. Yeah, you're just in... And I know that a lot of people uh, are, like, really unhappy when they played the tanker mission, and then they played the, the you know, the rest of the game, and they're like, oh, you switch characters. And I don't remember... I can I can go back and confirm uh, with my cousin, but I don't... Uh, I don't remember either of us feeling that way. We were just like, oh, yeah, uh, these systems are really cool. Well, the undercut really only works if you had been tapped into the internet and the advertisements before that because the marketing campaign was like deliberately misleading in that sense yeah if it's the game that you just play as like oh it's the second one there's no like there's no point in the game where it explicitly apart from just the feeling of the tanker mission there's no point in the game where it explicitly tells you this is a bad thing you should have expected something else yeah and I wonder if I, you know, I wonder if my particular reaction there comes from the genres of games I was playing at the time. So I was playing a lot of like Tekken on one hand, uh, which right, like character story is wide and varied. And I was very invested in the Tekken games for the story, weirdly enough. You ready for Tekken 7? Uh, well, when it comes out. The last um, volcano. Oh, my word. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I was playing that and I was playing Final Fantasy games, which... <laughs> you know like each one is different so i was yeah. like oh yeah metal gear solid is the same way <laughs> each one is different mm-hmm. um so yeah so that was my my experience of metal gear solid 2 was just being like oh cool a new a new dude yeah the new metal gear dude yeah that's yeah. cool yeah the new guy and uh, so actually i think i weirdly enough i think i had the opposite reaction with metal gear solid 3 mm-hmm. with being like oh why are we doing that again <laughs> why are we going back to the 60s what is this yeah, yeah yeah i think i did i think i had a very strong reaction i remember having a, a strong negative reaction and then some friend of mine bought it when it came out and it immediately flipped i was like oh yeah no this game is very cool mm-hmm. so uh what what is your before now i guess like what was younger you's favorite of the metal gear games oh metal gear solid one like okay. on, it's still my favorite one nice um i mean there's something very tight about it there's something that feels very and this is i you know, I uh, going back to the mental state of your childhood is always uh, precarious. Mm-hmm. But uh, but you know, there was something about the concentrated nature of it—the idea that like you and a friend could sit down and play through the entire game in one night. Right? You could have like a sleepover, and you could play through the whole thing and see the whole story, kind of like watching a movie. And mm-hmm. you could kind of like pass and play and do that because of the continue system. Um, there was a lot of of that kind of. Uh, it, it it afforded social play um, in a narrative experience in a way that other games I was playing at the time really couldn't. Like, there was... It, we did the same thing with the Final Fantasy games, but there was something about, like, playing a Final Fantasy game and you get to a boss fight that you, like, can't win because you're a kid and you don't understand the systems at all. 
and uh, you die, and then you have to play through 30 minutes of content again to get there. Um, there was something about Metal Gear Solid where it was just like, oh, yeah, we could we can just beat our heads up against this until we get through it. Um, and the the concentrated nature of that game's story, like compared to a JRPG, where oh, a lot of shit will happen, but then you got a a dungeon, you got to level up and everything. Exactly. But there is a pace to there is a sleepover pace to every Metal Gear Solid game, honestly, apart from five. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. That um, you can just sit down and play those games. Yeah, and and we did through yeah. through all of those. And so yeah, I think there's there's something about that. Now I would say like the way I would you know think about that is that it is a the way you're saying a nice constrained story. That mm-hmm. follows traditional plot beats of a you know of a blockbuster film, um, and so there's probably something involved with that there. But yeah, that that was the kind of experience of those, um, and that's why I like one so much still. I mean, you can sit down and play it in what six hours, six seven hours. Yeah, about six seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still really fun to do. It's a great game. For some reason, when I uh, came to them, I assumed that they were like twenty hours long. I have no idea where I got that assumption from. I think some people can make them that long. I don't know. It's the same way that people talk about like the PS1 JRPGs being incredibly long. And I think you can beat Final Fantasy VIII in like 20 hours. It's an incredibly fast game. I beat it in 40 hours, but 15 of them are probably just playing cards and grinding on a beach. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, people love to do that. I don't get it. I play right through. It's the same thing with Metal Gear Solid V. I just play through the game. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I was on a Skype call just grinding cars on a beach, and then I went and saw the entire story of Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just roll through that thing. But yeah, but yeah I, I really... Uh... What do you think of 4 as like an ending? Because <laughs> all I had known before coming to the Metal Gear series was I had listened to a Giant Bomb spoiler podcast of Metal Gear Solid 4, so I knew everything about 4 and assumed I knew the whole series. Oh, God. I, but I did not. Like, I knew... <laughs> what did I know? I knew... Oh, and then there's a guy on the wheelchair in a graveyard, and then the boss is back, and then Ocelot is not Ocelot, and I'm like, who? What? 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 Liquid Ocelot? What's this? Yep. <laughs> so that is pretty much the most confusing way to go into the Metal Gear series, because I just assumed, I, I don't know, like they were unknowable. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they're they're kind of unknowable. Like? They, yeah, they, well, I don't know. <laughs> actually, I actually don't think they're that confusing. I think um, that they're, they're dense, mm-hmm, but... Mm-hmm they don't care about their continuity and like that's what people seem to think is that um it is a confusing game because there are all these a confusing series because there are all these like threads that get picked up on and then get messed around and everything everyone's like cross sides about a thousand times which is true but i like the game doesn't actually care about that in the moment it cares about its themes way more it's just this big earnest anime fun times nonsense uh and so trying to <laughs> deconstruct it on a physical this is what happened to this person, then this happened is a, is a futile exercise, and of course that's going to get you confused. But just to play through, I think they're fine. Yeah, uh, well, and uh, I think the the perfect, because you were talking about like the double-crossing, the perfect example of that is like looking at the Wikipedia page for Ocelot. Oh, it's 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 so good. <laughs> and because like all of the, all of the, um, the like double-crosses necessarily do not take place in the games. They, you know, they take place like in the spaces between those games, we just have to assume that those are true. There are 12 items in Ocelot's affiliations tab. (laughs) It's the best. The Philosophers, NSA, CIA, KGB, Gru, The Patriots, Diamond Dogs, Foxhounds, Sons of Big Boss, Galukovich Mercenaries, Sons of Liberty, and Outer Heaven. (laughs) Yep, yep, that sounds right. Yep, 
Yeah, sure. Why not, Ocelot? Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I think I think uh, Metal Gear Solid Four functions in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it is uh, purely about the the spectacle and entertainment of like smashing your GI Joes together, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it's it it feels like someone being like, all right, so we made this guy. How how could they be related to this other guy? Let's Ooh. smash them together. Because I know that none of the plot points in four were like conceived beforehand. Yeah, like, they didn't make the Patriots and then three with the idea that that would all tie together eventually. And so I can just imagine like going into the first writing session for Melga sort of four, everyone going, "Oh God, oh God." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like I don't, um, I it's not one that I plan on revisiting. I've played mm-hmm. it one time. Uh, and I had a grand old time, um, but I don't. I don't plan on going back to it. Drebin, yeah, Drebin. What a cool him and his like little monkey guy. And his monkey. Yeah, yeah. It really feels like Drebin is a character that could have been uh, inserted or prefigured in Metal Gear Solid Five. That feels like someone they could have like given a backstory to. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that Five is surprisingly light on. Hey, it's this guy. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Well, because. I mean, I yeah. think after Metal Gear Solid Four, you're just like, well, is it worth the effort? Oh, the guy on fire, <laughs> the guy on fire is Volgan. That's no, nobody cares about. Vulcan. We've talked about Metal Gear Solid Three for an hour. We've not mentioned Volgan's name once. Nope. I that don't is care. how. That is how much Volgan matters. The one good thing about Volgan is the scene in the hangar where Volgan's giving his big speech about his plan, and every other person in the room knows more than him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is a surprisingly, and I, I mean, I guess that's the payoff of Metal Gear Solid Five, right? He's a character who's used by everyone he comes into contact with, mm-hmm. and ultimately that he is used by a small child as a toy <laughs> which is which is the most insulting thing that can happen oh, i'm glad they know <laughs> yeah um yeah that's a it's a great you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna take a stand here at the end uh the boss fight with the end it's not good i don't like no it. good not no good i don't like it. I, no you know i love the systems of Gear solid three i think that the the masochism necessary to really enjoy the the end fight is just not a level I can get to. It only took me like f- uh, ten minutes. No, I so me too, right? Like it is a really simple little fight, and I watch these videos and I hear people talk about the intense investment of time and effort of that fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, every time I've played that boss fight, uh, it's been like looking for the glint of the rifle and then sneaking up on him and shooting him. I mean that that is that is all you do. Yeah, I so I don't get it. I don't. We're having the same experience here. I do not understand the <laughs> the glory that is afforded to this boss fight. It's it's uh, more impactful the higher difficulty you're on. It requires a buy-in to the systems of Metal Gear Solid. It, it does. It does. But... I've, I've watched uh, George Weedman doing it um, without the. Uh, ha- have you seen this? The No Tranquilizer European Extreme. No, but uh, I should. Run through. Yeah, so it's worth watching. Um, because his fight with the end takes like four hours. Oh, shit. Um, he like speeds through a big chunk of it. Uh, his Volgan fight also takes like two hours at the end. The the one with on the Shagahod. Uh, no, the one uh, where you're like melee fighting him. The one but, before that, I think. But that fight's got a time limit of like ten minutes. Oh no! But I think it. I don't think the one run. I think his iteration attempts take like four hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, I understand. Because he's got a. I think he stamina kills him, um, with like the handkerchief. 
<laughs> uh, but anyone anyone who likes Metal Gear Solid 3 should go watch uh, it's his channel name on YouTube is Super Bunny Hop. Mm-hmm. But, what uh, is um yeah. uh your favorite boss fight from the series then? Oh, from the entire series? Yeah. What's the um, what is what is a good Metal Gear boss? Ooh. Um so Vulcan Raven Part 2. Uh the yep. In Metal Gear Solid 1, I That's think great. it is like an apex fight uh um, yep. in the series. Um, just because it, like it's it's using um, this like system of sight and information. I wrote a really long, or not a really long, but I wrote an article about it for five out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called "Playing the Map." It's in a, a few issues ago, uh, but it's cool. largely about the Metal Gear or the Vulcan fight too. Um, but so yeah, so I really like that one. I like the um, uh, what is Olga. Olga, Olga, yes. Uh, Olga Gulukovic in, in the, tanker. Uh, the tanker. Yeah. Yeah. Just because that boss fight is, you know, it's a demo boss fight and mm-hmm. it is meant to show off all the systems and cool things you can do in this mm-hmm. game coming, you know, that's coming up. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a really interactive, uh, kind of brilliant boss fight. Um, I think those two. Yeah, I like both of it. I think uh, one of our problems with Metal Gear Bosses, which I think is a, a, a thing that comes back to why the end sometimes doesn't hit i like it more than you but uh, is that metal gear boss fights have the moment where you work out what to do and yeah. then half an hour more of trying to get it done to the point like one of the boss fights that i loved and then hated as it went on was the vamp boss fight in two because it starts out and he's coming out of the water and you're like oh i see you do it this this and this but then just it goes like six times round of increasing complexity and it just becomes busy work yeah. It doesn't have the tight Mario boss design of three things, uh, do them at the right time, get them done. Uh, I think the yeah. boss fights are the areas where uh, Metal Gear is perhaps aged in the least graceful way. A hundred percent. I think the ones in four are all very interesting. Um, just because like they're they're like you know, the girl talk of Metal Gear Solid, right? Like, there is this, like, horrifying mashups that, you know, half the time do not work at all. Yeah. Um, but I really like the one that is Crying Wolf. The one in, the, uh, in Shadow Moses. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. think that one is... I I don't like playing it. Like, I, I don't like doing it. But from a kind of design, kind of uh, broader standpoint, I think all the pieces are there. And it's one that where you can't actually kind of figure it out and then just execute the moves. Just because she's moving around so much, because it's using that part from the end where she's moving. Um, but there's also all the snow mechanics for, out of the sniper wolf fight from one, mm-hmm. and like spawn soldiers that come for you, so you can't like find a good position and then go from there. I think it's uh, it's an incredibly complex boss fight, and I mm-hmm. find that one maybe more rewarding than the end. Also, okay. it, you know, you can't kind of cheese it like you can in the end and just find him and shoot him. Yeah, um, you have to play the mechanics out. So I hate doing it, but I, I can appreciate it. Yeah, no, I think the part where the Metal Gear Solid 4 fights lose me is where they just, oh, we didn't know how to do this. We added a bunch of soldiers into everything, so it was difficult. Yeah, um, yeah. I think about the... Uh, the um, the Raven one, the one with the flying and the in Act 3? Uh, no, not that one. The one with... Uh, Psycho- it's not Psycho Mantis, but ma- something it, Mantis. No, it's Psycho Mantis because Psycho Mantis is controlling the other Mantis. That's right. That's right. <sighs> Um, Beauty, wait, the Beast, Beauty and the Beast Car, I'm going to say, are the single worst thing in all of Metal Gear. Yeah, they're a weird, they're a weird choice across the uh, board. 
They are. Um, but yeah, but that fight is is like straight terrible, right? It's just a yep. thing floating around and you shoot it and then enemies come and you shoot them. Um, very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I guess before we wrap up, I'll ask you... Uh, well, Warren had a... Not Warren. Michael had a question. Michael, let's... Mm-hmm. I go by people's Twitter handles too much. Warren. Warren. You know Warren? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Uh, who is... Which is a very easy question, which was, who does Snake kiss the most, in your opinion, can have different person for each version of Snake? Mm. For each version of Snake. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think all versions of Snake kiss Ocelot the most. <laughs> no, like, no, Ocelot is just Big Boss. Well, no. Ocelot kisses Snake. Like, oh, explicitly. Right. Ocelot, actually, you can get a trophy if mm. Ocelot kisses Snake. But I think... Uh... I, I still think that version of Snake... I think Solid Snake still kisses Ocelot the most. Um, uh, just emotionally. I, <laughs> I've had uh, a lot of conversations with people about this who um, have convinced me of the read that Solid Snake is asexual. No, Naked Snake uh, isn't, but Solid Snake is like pretty much incapable of... like Every single bit of uh, sexuality he displays throughout Metal Gear Solid 1, especially, uh, is very performative and the relationship between him and who uh, meryl mm-hmm. is the most hollow thing meryl 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 and meryl <laughs> no meryl meryl and, no <laughs> and if she dies he is only upset because that proves he's a bad soldier doesn't actually care about her no um so yeah, yeah i'm of the read that uh Solid Snake probably doesn't kiss anyone, and he's okay with that. He's too busy being a soldier. Well, just because you're asexual doesn't mean that you don't want to kiss. If if he kisses someone, he kisses Otacon. Oh yeah, well yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of kiss going on there too. <laughs> a lot of, uh, um, emotional kisses. He, uh, Solid Snake is all about emotional kisses, whereas Big Boss is about actual kisses. I think <laughs> that that's like a timeline dividing rule. Or shadow puppet kisses. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, the boss doesn't seem like a person that's about any kind of kisses. I mean, she she had a child. but She had Ocelot. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like kisses were part of that. Like, she doesn't seem to care about that kind of thing. She's, she was a very unemotional character. Uh, I don't know. Maybe her and the Sorrow got along real well. Well, they did. I mean, clearly they did. Clearly they did. He's, like, floating around, holding up a timer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't... Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel about about kisses and the thing i i would love to talk about uh solid snake sexuality in metal gear solid one uh like <laughs> forever because not only is it performative but he's surprised about like notions of sex yep yeah like the conversation between him and meryl are i often dismiss this like this is a gross thing but if you like actually sit down and examine what they're saying about sexuality it is fascinating yeah well in the idea that like like the whole like, uh, Meryl doesn't have the butt of a male soldier, and so therefore Snake knows it's Meryl. Mm-hmm. Um, in that cutscene, like on one hand, like super gross. On the other hand, Snake is so profoundly analytical <laughs> in this moment that he immediately knows what's going on. Yep. Um, so there's like weird stuff going on with that, uh, just in the way that gets contextualized and kind of plays out in that game. Um, One of my favorite things about the Snake and Meryl stuff is how it is reflected in the Sniper Wolf Otacon stuff. In the <laughs> Sniper Wolf uh, dies, and Otacon's like, "Our love is real and powerful, and I will never forget her." And I'm like, "Buddy, she doesn't know your name." <laughs> when also, Solid Snake's reactions to shoot her in the head. 
Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, he has no ability to emotionally engage with her. No, no. He just, he just kills her. <laughs> he just kills her. And then Otacon keeps going on. He's like, I, she, didn't, she did not care about you, Otacon. Yeah. She looked at you once. Yeah. What a, what a, what a horrible nerd, man. <laughs> I hate Otacon. Oh, that's come on. Sorry, I just—he's not my guy. That's okay. I, <laughs> I really liked Otacom, uh, and was like, oh, he's basically kind of like functioning in the first game as like the moral center of that game mm-hmm. in a weird way. And then I thought he was going to continue to do that, and then the Emma stuff happened, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> yeah. No. I wow. mean, yeah, his hypocrisy knows no ends throughout Ooh. all of the games. His entire we bloodline. <laughs> We science holics are always exploited for war. <laughs> I'm an otaku. <laughs> otaku a, convention. A Japanese otaku. Uh, I didn't. I was surprised when Otacon was revealed to me in that, and not be some military, uh, <laughs> like weird military code name. Well, what's great about Otacon as a military code name that everyone refers to you as is 99% of people would just be like, oh, it's a weird code name. Yeah, because you know I never mean? played a game. And I was like, oh, Otacon, right. I got, I keep getting, os- before I played the games, I kept getting Ocelot and Otacon confused. I yeah, thought they were thing. the same person. I think that happened to me too. When I, nice. I mean, not not in like my 20s, which but, happened no, to no, you, no. but like no, when no, I was no. playing well, the was, game. It wasn't in my 20s. It was uh, in my... um. Uh, like when Metal Gear Solid Four came out, which early forties in your early 40s. <laughs> in my in my yeah in my uh, early forties after my second divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, what great games! The final question I have for you uh, before we wrap this thing all the way down is perhaps the most important, which is what is the best Metal Gear Solid song? Uh, you know what? I I don't have any. Uh, I'm not like what it seems to be, and I, I could be wrong here, but the other people that you're interviewing for the series or talking with, not interviewing, uh, that you're doing these podcasts with seem to have investment in game music. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, um, every Metal Gear Solid, not every Metal Gear Solid game now, but probably one through three, I would just mute it and listen to music, like to like oh. other music in the time. So, like, and I've done that for most games my entire life. I don't care for game music. It's just not a thing that I've ever been invested in. So I read I read a lot of subtitles. Um, so shaking my head, Cameron. I know. I know. I, lots of people react that way, and I'm just being truthful. Um, <laughs> That's fair enough. I can't. Like I can't when people talk that. about like what's the best Final Fantasy music, I've played all of these games. I've never heard any of the music. <laughs> um, like oh, it took until you know, like being an adult. To be like, oh, maybe I should like you know play the game the way it was developed. Oh, that's why everyone keeps saying eyes on me. Yeah, Weird. I didn't know. That's a, that's in the cutscene. You have to unmute the TV for the cutscene. They don't speak. Uh, yeah, I yeah yeah. I mean, I'll admit it's a contradiction, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, it was just part of play. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like the Snake Eater theme a lot. That's fun. Um, I've heard it a bunch of times. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know any of the music. Maybe that's... the uh, opera thing from Metal Gear Solid One from the opening cutscene. I've heard that a lot. That's the be- That's the opening of Best Is Yet to Come. Because it's that's the beginning and the end of that game. Those are both cutscenes, so I've it, seen that. Well, and it plays through like half of the codec conversations. When anyone talks anything mm. sad, suddenly opera plays. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't have any. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, yeah. thank you very much for this conversation. This was a good podcast. Yeah. No. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, having me. Where can we find you on the old internets? Oh, you can find you me on my Twitter. At C Kunzelman, you can find me on YouTube by my whole name. You're gonna put all this like in a description or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. So look in the description to find all these things. <laughs> yeah. 
You're gonna like do this properly, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're gonna like yeah. do the thing. Well, look, my, gonna, my name's I'll hard to spell. Thing. It's not. It's not worth it to verbally do that. They can figure it out. Okay. Google me. <laughs> that's a, just that's your business card. Well, that's what uh, Darius uh, Kazimi his uh, his business card for years just said his name on it with no other identifying information. <laughs> Great. Good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite things about video games is the the weird business card wars that emerge because you're all massive nerds. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't have a business card. Quite. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, well, thank you very much uh, yeah, for thanks. joining me. Thanks for doing and this. I'm excited to uh, listen to all the other ones. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's a podcast. Mm-hmm. Bam. I don't have any cool ending. It's a shame. So. You've got a way to fall They'll tell you where to go But they won't know Sir You'd better take it all They'll tell you what they know
They'll tell you where to go But they won't 